Hello and welcome to episode number 49 of the Draft Addicts, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Tony Pauline, as Pro Days are in full force as we head towards the end of the month of March. Now, Pro Days mean different things for different players, obviously, and they're especially important for players who weren't invited to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. Tony, we've talked often about the importance of the interviews and the medicals at the Combine in comparison to the workouts, which consequently are the only things that the public gets to watch on TV. What's the main importance of Pro Days as a whole that many may not realize? You know, there are a variety of issues that are important to Pro Day. You spoke about the interviews at the Combine. You know, the interviews during Pro Day, there's no time constraints as, as we see at the Combine. They can be in a more relaxed atmosphere like dinner or breakfast. And sometimes teams can get more out of the interviews during Pro Day than they can at the Combine. The workouts are a little bit different as well. You know, coaches, the workouts at the Combine are scripted. Players know what they're going to do. During a pro day workout, coaches can request that receivers run certain routes or a quarterback throw a certain pass specific to their offensive system versus what they see uh, at the combine. Keyshawn Johnson, which I reported uh, on Monday, you know, the Cincinnati Bengals asked him to run specific routes that they do in their offense. A couple of years ago, I remember during the uh, Pittsburgh Panther workout, I had reported that Bill O'Brien of the Houston Texans asked Tom Savage to throw a couple of passes that was basically indicative of the type of passes that he would be throwing in a Houston Texans offense. Guess what happened? Bill O'Brien and Houston Texans uh, selected Tom uh, Savage. Didn't go anywhere, but still, you have to keep that in the back of your mind because teams do that for a reason. You know, overall, a pro day workout is a lot more personalized versus the combine. Now, the general rule with pro day times, at least when it comes to the 40-yard dash, it's kind of widely accepted that you subtract one-tenth of a second from a player's pro day time, which gives you an approximation of what they would have run at the combine. Tony, why is it that players tend to run faster at pro days compared to the combine? Is it because guys who run slower at the combine rerun a pro day and subsequently improve their times while the guys who are satisfied with their combine times sit on them and don't run at pro day? Is it an issue of how the runs are timed? What's the bottom line here? Well, it is an issue of how runs are timed, and I'll get into that. But first of all, you know, the workouts at the Combine, and I've spoken about this before, are done after three days of rigorous medical exams, psychological tests, and a ton of interviews. So most of the guys are pretty beat down, at least psychologically, before they ever take the field for Combine workouts. Pro Day workouts, you know, may include some film session before the workout begins, maybe some interviews, but basically the scouts arrive and the players work out. So they're less ragged compared to uh, their combine experience. Now, you know, to your point, is it timed differently? You know, unlike the combine where you have an electric eye start at the beginning of the 40, then you have four handheld watches at the 10 and 20 yard splits. Then you have an electronic finish at the end of the 40, as well as four handheld times. You know, pro days are usually just a bunch of guys at the finish line, each timing independently. If you ever see a pro day on either the NFL Network or ESPN, you see that makeshift, the little grandstand at the end of the 40, and the guys will move their stopwatches with their thumbs to try and get the best uh, reaction time when the guy starts his 40 as, as, and do the same thing when he finishes his 40. So there is a lot more margin for human error, uh, and the times can be all over the place. There is a scouting service called APT that goes sends a scout to all these pro days, and that is the quote-unquote official time, but all it is is just a scout there who is timing the players just like all the other scouts from the teams. 
that are their timing. And teams will always go by the time that's on their watches that their scouts give them. Now, there is a conspiracy theory out there that I've heard a number of times that a scout may give a, t- a guy a time that's a little bit faster than he actually ran to justify a good report on a player uh, and maybe a little bit slower than he actually ran to justify a bad report. Now, what do I mean by that? If a guy writes a good report on a, uh, on a cornerback and he wants him to run a fast time, well, he may be a little bit slow starting the watch when he starts the 40. And if a guy conversely writes a poor report on a safety and he wants to kind of justify that report, he may kind of wait until the guy runs 42 yards uh, to stop his watch and get the time. I've heard that bandied about. I've got no proof of it. I'll tell you that, but it's been mentioned to me more than one time. Now, Tony, we've been a bit ahead of the curve on these shows, talking about potential changes to the combine, everything from changing the venue and moving it out of Indianapolis to moving the workouts to prime time, even making it a two-week event. Have you heard anything lately since our last reports? As a matter of fact, yes. Just yesterday, I was told that the belief is next year they're going to try a pilot program where just on the Saturday workouts, which features the quarterbacks, the receivers, and the running backs, the Saturday workouts will be held in prime time. If the ratings are off the charts or better than what the present ratings are, they may move the rest of the workouts to prime time. Now, what has the reaction been to that idea from people you've spoken to? You know, again, Chris, just about every agent I spoke with told me they will not let their players work out in that type of condition where the guy may have to sit around all day, get stressed out, and wait for the workout. And it'll be interesting to see what happens. Now it's time to focus on real-life Pro Day results. We'll start with the Ohio State Pro Day, which took place Wednesday. Just like with Oklahoma's Pro Day last week, the focus here was on a top-rated quarterback. Tony, what were your thoughts on Dwayne Haskins' workout? I thought he was very good in all areas. I would have liked to have seen some better pass placement on the short and intermediate throws. While he was accurate, he was making receivers reach backwards or get vertical for the ball. But I was really impressed with his downfield passing and accuracy. And that's the biggest criticism I've had about uh, Haskins' game. You know, on film, the receivers downfield are waiting for passes to arrive or they're leaving their feet or they're adjusting to grab Aaron throws. On just about all of his deep throws today, he was letting receivers run to the ball. It means he has the ability to do that during a game. It just needs to be coached out of them. Now, there was a recent report that the quarterback needing New York Giants hadn't really been doing a ton of homework on Haskins. Then Wednesday, it came out that Coach Pat Shermer, along with the team's front office, had dinner with Haskins on Tuesday night. What's the truth here? You know, the report that stated the Giants had not been doing much homework on on Haskins was misguided from the get-go. Everything I've been told is that they really like Haskins and all the components of of his game, his physical skills, his intellectual ability, as well as his leadership skills and the way teammates and people gravitate towards him. That last aspect, the leadership skills and the way teammates gravitate towards him, is really understated and often dismissed by people. It's one of the reasons the Philadelphia Eagles fell in love with Carson Wentz. Basically, based on the leadership that he displayed during the three days of senior bowl practice in 2016 was unparalleled, and I'm hearing much of the same with Haskins. Now, Haskins has always been the top-rated quarterback on our board over at DraftAnalyst.com, even though it appears more and more likely by the day that he's not going to be the first one off the board. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion he'll end up in New York with the Giants picking sixth overall? You know, nothing's a lock at this point, but I think he's definitely the favorite. The question is, does he last to the sixth pick? 
or do the Giants have to trade up and grab him to ensure a team like the Oakland Raiders don't, don't take him because the Raiders have interest in him with the fourth selection or make sure that another team doesn't move ahead of them to grab Haskins. That being the case, I've said this uh, since before he officially entered the draft. I believe Haskins would be a great pick for the Giants. It's the perfect situation. He could sit behind Eli Manning for a year and slowly integrate into the NFL. It makes sense for the Giants both on the field and off the field. Manning can finish his career with the franchise as they groom his, his heir apparent. Now, there are a couple of Buckeyes who didn't work out today, starting with Nick Bosa, who stood on his combine numbers. The general consensus for a while has been linking Bosa to the San Francisco 49ers at number two. But last week, John Lynch traded a 2020 second-round pick to Kansas City for pass rusher D. Ford, who the Chiefs had previously given the franchise tag. Do you think that deal changes the calculus in the draft for San Francisco? From what I'm hearing, it only changes it if the 49ers trade down from that second selection. I spoke with a good league source, and he made a few outstanding points why league-wide people believe the Niners will still take Boza with the second pick. First thing is the contract signed by D. Ford is is a team-friendly contract that doesn't hamper the Niners if they were to cut him before the contract ends. Then there's Ford himself. I mean, the guy just turned 28 years old. He's had an up-and-down career since being selected in the first round of 2014, and he's had issues with back and back injuries. He's coming off a great season with 13 sacks, but, you know, the prior four years, he had a combined 17 and a half sacks, which included 10 sacks in 2016. So there hasn't been great production until this year. So long term, drafting Boza with the second pick makes the most sense to the people I've spoken with. Personally, I believe the Niners will try and trade down. And this is something I've heard since early January. Now, Buckeyes quarterback Kendall Sheffield didn't work out either. He was injured benching in Indy. He's tentatively planning right now to work out for teams the week of April 8th. You were there when Sheffield got hurt at the Combine and immediately reported it to the masses. Go a little deeper on the situation for our listeners, Tony. Yeah, first I was told it's a partial terror as pectoral muscle. And yeah, I was watching when Sheffield was on the bench that day and you could see the grimace on his face when he hurt himself. You knew immediately something was wrong. I'm told tentatively right now they're looking at a date of April 11th to hold the workout, which will be the 40-yard dash as well as the position drills. Remember, for those who listen to us religiously, I stated in our combine preview that Sheffield hoped to contend to be the fastest player at the combine, so I'm sure he has something he wants to prove. How important is it for Sheffield to get a workout in before draft day comes? First, teams are going to want to get a 40-time on Sheffield. It's important to get a a 40-time on cornerbacks, and it's even more important for underclassmen where there's not a lot of information. Secondly, I I basically believe that uh, Sheffield working out and not working out is the difference between Sheffield potentially being a top 45 selection and not being a top 45 selection. We'll get back to Pro Day News in just a moment here, but before that, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now, Ohio State was the big ticket pro day on Wednesday, but another big pro day happened Tuesday in Tuscaloosa. Alabama's Quinn and Williams did not work out at the Tides pro day, but are you hearing a few red flags on the big defensive tackle, Tony? 
I've heard him for a couple of weeks. You know, at the combine, people told me Williams came across as a bit naive during interviews. Now, when you use the word naive, people look at it in a condescending fashion, but it was not presented to me in that way. It was more of he's a terrific football talent and he's great on the field. But off the field, he just seems naive to what's going on in almost an innocent way. Now, there's a slight concern or question as to what happens when he's selected early in the draft and starts getting big paychecks. There's also a thought of what happens if he gets selected by a big market team, say the New York Jets versus the Tampa Bay Bucks. You know, in a lot of ways, what I heard about Quinion Williams is similar to what I heard about and what we reported on this podcast about Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert being a little bit of a social introvert when we discussed whether or not he would enter the draft. Now, the comparison to Herbert is interesting to me there, simply because we're talking a QB versus a defensive tackle. As you said before, with Dwayne Haskins and Carson Wentz, leadership and just having that general it factor, the ability to gravitate teammates towards you is unbelievably important. And also, as you said, understated at the quarterback position. If your QB isn't confident, that's going to trickle down to the rest of the offense, especially in big moments. On the other hand, the defensive tackle isn't really looked to as a leader in most situations. Plus, we're talking maybe a little naivete for Williams rather than introversion like Herbert. Maybe Williams could have some issues in a big market, and obviously that's still to be seen. But does he play a position that is going to make him answer questions at the podium after every game like a quarterback would have to? Is his personality really going to have that far-reaching of an effect on his team, assuming he's not just like a pure a-hole? that I find it a bit harder to believe from a D-tackle than I would for a QB as far as those issues causing any problems. Right, and I have not heard bad things about it. It's not so much his personality right now. It's more a a bit of naivety and and how wide-eyed is he going to get once he signs a huge contract and starts living his life in a big city with all that money. Again, you know, it's a question that can't be answered, and there's a little bit of concern about it. Now, after Quinnen Williams, the next Crimson Tide player to come off the board is very likely going to be Jonah Williams. What's the latest you're hearing on the offensive lineman? People are looking at Williams as one of the safest pick in the top half of round one. They believe there's very little bust factor in his game. Fundamentally and mechanically, he's the best offensive lineman in the draft, bar none. As I reported at DraftAnalyst.com, Teams love the intellectual side of his game, his preparation, his maturity, his football smarts. He keeps a book with notes on every opponent he's played against, and offensive coaches are going to love him for that. Now, where does he end up in the draft? I still don't think he's a top 10 pick. I do know the Jacksonville Jaguars and the New York Giants really like him a lot. The question for the Jaguars is, who do they like better, Jonah Williams or Jawan Taylor of Florida? I think Taylor's got more upside, but he's not as safe a pick as Jonah Williams. As far as the Giants are concerned, you know, do, do they think he's going to be available with their second pick in round one, the 17th selection? If he's there at 17, I think the Giants run to the table with his name on the card. They start him at right tackle, and they groom him for the left side to take over whenever Nate Solder is done. The wild card in this is Green Bay, who fulfilled many of their defensive needs and free agency with the safety, with the two defensive uh, pass rushers, but they still have needs on the offensive line. Now, on Tuesday, you posted that Alabama safety Deontay Thompson and linebacker Christian Miller will be running for scouts on April 2nd. Now, obviously, Thompson needs an impressive time with many questioning his long speed, but Miller has been kind of a forgotten man with all the talent on the defensive side of the ball at Alabama. Not to mention he's had a particularly quiet pre-draft process so far after he pulled his hamstring in the Orange Bowl. Are you hearing anything more on Miller? 
Yeah, we presently grade Miller as a third-round prospect on the board at DraftAnalyst.com. And if he runs well on April 2nd, that's where teams expect him to go in the third round. He's very underrated, doesn't get the credit he deserves. He was terrific for Alabama, standing over tackle in their 3-4 alignment. And he's done extremely well in coverage drills of Pro Day this week. You know, right now, I'm told the Minnesota Vikings, the Arizona Cardinals, the New York Giants and the Buffalo Bills have all either met with Miller or they're showing a lot of interest in him. Now, one last under-the-radar type of prospect out of Alabama is quarterback Savion Smith. He was a bit of a surprise entry into the draft as an underclassman. But, Tony, I hear that you know that some NFL teams really like him. A lot of teams like Smith as a last-day sleeper. The New Orleans Saints, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Seattle Seahawks, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are at the top of the list for those who are very interested in, in Smith. You know, he's a long physical corner that goes about six foot one, two hundred pounds. Slightly disappointing running a four point five eight second in the forty yesterday, but teams like his game and his upside. You know, let's not forget. Richard Sherman was a long physical corner who ran in the mid four fives when he came out of Stanford, ended up as a third day pick. And a lot of people see similarities in Smith's game compared to Sherman's game at equal points in their career. Now let's talk about another lengthy corner who's getting a lot of buzz lately. Another guy who we've talked about a lot on the show, and that's Justin Lane of Michigan State. The Spartans had their pro day on Monday. What's the latest on Lane? Yeah, Lane stood on his combine 40 time, but impressed a lot of people. Otherwise, what he did at Pro Day. He's a terrific corner, and I would encourage anyone who's listening to go back and watch the film of the Ohio State game when he was brilliant. Some people are talking about late first round for Lane, but I see him as a better fit in the middle of round two. Right now, Lane has official 30 visits with the Oakland Raiders, the New York Jets, the Cleveland Browns, and the Washington Redskins. I also know that the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans have a lot of love for Lane. Now, moving back to Tuesday's Pro Day coverage, you did a write-up about Jalen Ferguson's Pro Day at Louisiana Tech, stating that all 32 teams were on hand and that he did not disappoint with his performance. You also mentioned that Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, flew into Ruston last night to meet with Ferguson. Do you have any insight on how that meeting went or anything else related to the defense event? I heard it went well with Jerry Jones, although it seemed to people who were there that Jones was sizing up Ferguson more than anything else. He worked out for the Washington Redskins on Wednesday. He'll be working out for the Denver Broncos in the coming days. Now, at the start of the show, you mentioned Keyshawn Johnson, the Fresno State wide receiver, who really improved his marks from the combine on Pro Day. Can you go into a little more detail of how much he improved? Yeah, it wasn't a pretty sight for Johnson uh, when you look at his combine marks. Ran 4.60 in the 40 with a relatively slow 1.56 10-yard split, only 30 inches in the vertical jump. By contrast, his pro day marks were outstanding. His 40 time, he got it down to 4.53 seconds, though some teams did have him at 4.49. His vertical jump was two inches better, and he ran some great shuttle times, as I reported at DraftAnalyst.com, which is good to see. I mean, I've been a fan of Johnson since 2017. If you look at my uh, Rogers Slaughter's column, I first mentioned him in, in October of 2017. Speed and athleticism was always uh, the concern with scouts. And some of those combine fears or some of the fears from after his combine testing numbers were quelled during the pro day performance. I think right now he grades as a solid pick in the middle of day three. The Cincinnati Bengals have been spending a lot of time with Keyshawn Johnson. And again, go back to the fact that during Pro Day, they had him run specific routes that are basically 
prioritized in their offense. The Indianapolis Colts also spent time with Johnson and seemed to like him. I believe I reported that the Arizona Cardinals will be working out Johnson. You know, getting back to the Colts, I could see a receiver like Keyshawn Johnson working well with Andrew Luck. He's a Chris Awusu type of receiver, although Awusu had a speed advantage, and Awusu was one of Luck's favorite targets at Stanford. Now, we're a little more than a month away from the draft, so let's try to spice this up a little bit. Are there any hot rumors or any word that you're hearing around the league? The rumor I'm hearing right now is that the Baltimore Ravens are going to target a receiver in round one. And as of right now, I'm told they really want DK Metcalf of Mississippi. But if Metcalf is not around, they really like Paris Campbell and would consider taking him in round one, which would be a bit of a shocker for me, although some people do like Campbell as a first-round pick, but it's not unusual for the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, this is the same team that took Rashad Perriman out of UCF in the first round a few years ago after Perriman, I think, hit sub-4-3, if I remember correctly, in his 40 at the Combine. So there are no strangers to going a bit earlier than the board of most people to take a speedy receiver. Obviously, that was kind of a surprise pick at the time and really has exploded into their face at the end. We'll definitely give some credit to Perriman, though, for resurrecting his career this past year with Cleveland. Now he's in Tampa. We'll see if he can play a role there. But obviously, that isn't helping Baltimore, as the Ravens are going to look to replace recently cut Michael Crabtree, along with John Brown, the speedster who signed with Buffalo. I mean, right now, Willie Sneed is atop their depth chart, so the Ravens most certainly need a receiver even if they do project as one of the more run-heavy offenses in recent league memory. Now, we'll finish this show on a bit of a lighter note. As we often do, we'll talk about the New York Jets. The non-draft news coming out of the Big Apple is the Jets' new uniforms. Now, this is a complete redesign, not just a small tweak. I have heard that there may be some similarities to what we've seen from Oregon in recent years. Since we do have a good number of Jet fans who listen to this podcast, Tony, have you heard anything about the new uniforms? Believe it or not, yes. And it was unsolicited. I did not ask about this. Now, I did not see the new uniforms, but someone I spoke with who did see them told me that, one, the Jets are going to have an alternate uniform, which is black. And I was led to believe it's going to be all black, pants and jersey. I know that there have been some talk out there about the green being a brighter green, but the person I spoke with who saw the new uniforms told me that the green looked like spinach green. And the first thought that went through a lot of people's minds when they saw it was, it's the Philadelphia Eagles. So we have to wait and see what happens. But if it's true, hopefully the Eagles winning ways will come along with the new uniforms for the Jets. Maybe the Jets will get some Popeye strength out of that spinach green. Let's hope. I mean, you know, between you and I, I just sent in my money for my season ticket. So uh, let's hope it goes that way. And that's all for the 49th episode of the Draft Analyst presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. With the Pro Day circuit heating up through the end of March here, we'll have all the latest from the workouts around the country. So head over to draftanalyst.com for all the latest. And on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We'll see you next week.